0: We're going to be in our second uh, week of the epistles of John. We were supposed to be in chapter 2 today, but we didn't make it past the four, first four verses of chapter 1 last week. Uh, so we had a really good time uh, together, and I'm looking forward to our discussion this morning. we a little bit fewer in crowd today, but, so that means uh, you have more of an opportunity. Is Ken here? The, all right. So here's what, here's what we want to do. So Ken said he had a big list last week, and he said he kept raising his hand. I don't believe him. He said he did. I didn't see it. So he, I told him he needs a. Sti- yeah. So everyone that's sitting around Ken right now, if you see his hand go up, everybody's hand goes up. Okay. Let's practice together. Ken, put your hand up. Everyone around him. Well, okay, that's the whole room. But <laughs> now we're going to help him out because we don't want to leave him out. Maybe everybody should point to him. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you should just sit right up here. And that way, you're right next to me. Yeah, he's thinking, he's backing out now. But uh, um, hopefully I will not miss anyone. If I do, it's not intentional. Uh, but uh, if you're our guest and you're wondering, what have we gotten ourselves into today? Uh, this is a different kind of sermon series in which um, we're. Get, this is a combination of teaching and discussion. So we're going through the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at the verses 5 through 10 of First John chapter 1. I encourage you to also read John chapter 1, especially those first 13 verses, uh, to be prepared for our discussion because John is so consistent in his message between the gospel of John and the epistles of John. Now, we're not going to go back all through the history of John. If you want to see that, you can go online and you can see, uh, see the podcast for that. But what we do know is that John had left Jerusalem. He had gone out and was living in Turkey at the dispersion, which is when Rome took over, destroyed the temple, and Christians fled Jerusalem. John went to Turkey, started planting churches all over the place. And similar to Paul, uh, he was planting churches and writing letters to them. That's what John was doing to the churches he planted. He not only wrote the epistles of John and the gospel of John, but also wrote the book of Revelation, the vision that, he, that Jesus gave him. And uh, what is interesting is that the, the seven churches <coughs> excuse me, that John wrote Revelation to were the churches that he had helped start and that he was regularly in communication with. And a lot of these letters were going to those seven churches as well. So th- this is rich. Uh, rich theology. This is rich in understanding the beginning of the church and really trying to maintain the gospel in the way that Jesus intended. So what we're going to do each week is we're going to read the text we're going over together. So today we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1 beginning with verse 5. Uh, Some of you said, well, this was super uncomfortable last week. We're doing it again this week. Let's all stand and we're going to read it again because I'm all about being uncomfortable. All right. So Alright, right, First John chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Thank you. You can be seated. All right. So let me go over. We're not going to do this every week, but this is only our second week. So let me go over the ground rules for what we're doing together. Uh, Whenever we do this and we have discussion, we understand that there are all kinds of perspectives in this room. We're coming from all different places. A lot of that comes from our personalities, also from our gifting. God gives us different spiritual gifts which adjust the way we see the world and what He intended for all of us to come together and with that tension of different perspectives come to God's perspective. And so uh, having differences of opinion is not bad. Having difference of opinion whenever we don't share it and let others bring us closer to God's uh, is not good either. So as we do that, here are the ground rules just one more time. Number one, if this is going to be successful... Be prepared to discuss, read the text, pray through it. I would encourage you to read it more than once throughout the week. It will take you literally... Well, today would take you uh, today 's text would take you probably about forty five seconds, but you can read it several times, let it marinate, think about it while you 're driving while you 're at work unless you 're operating heavy machinery don 't do that, but uh, think about it struggle to come to your best understanding of what John was trying to say, and also this is just the heart of Bible study. look for other supporting scriptures um, of what he 's talking about to get a clear bigger picture. Second thing is be respectful of others in the the room Now, as we do more of this, what I anticipate is going to happen is our conversation will become increasingly more honest as our conversation becomes increasingly more honest, there is a greater opportunity that we 're going to begin stepping on each other 's toes. The, the goal is that we are moving towards in a common direction to understand what John is trying to show us, not for us to push our opinions out there, but at the times that we are struggling to understand and we have various different ways of seeing things be respectful of others in the room. Number three, if you want to offer a counterpoint or view or, or a question, uh, be sure you have a biblical basis for your point of view that you can articulate. Um, some of you, and I won't name names, like to be devil's advocate. Uh, that's fine, but I, he's not in here right now. But but if what we don't want to spend is what little time we have together, kind of just doing the what ifs. Um, if you've got, you know, if you want to say, listen, I I read this and this is the way I understand it, which seems completely contrary. Listen, that is exactly the kind of stuff we want to talk about in here. Bring it up, bring it up, but have some kind of biblical basis for that. Um, and then number four, be prepared to contribute and to learn. And the rabbis in the old and new Testament, they didn't teach the way we do here. Uh, they, they didn't just get up and, and then prepare a sermon and then kind of put it out there and you consume it and then you leave. That's not the way they taught. Um, they taught very much through discussion, through dialogue. They would sit and they would talk about scripture. They would ask questions. People would contribute. They would ask questions. Many times the rabbis would uh, ask questions to answer a question. And so they would get really frustrating about that. Uh, but that's the way that they taught. And it was a way of interactive kind of pushing against each other. Scripture tells us your iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so whenever we come together, it is our constant struggling with the text, struggling with what he's telling us, um, and, and when we do that together, that's when we truly come to what God wants to say to us. And many times, some of the things you all brought up last week, I had not prepared to talk about. And that's exactly why we're doing this. So I'm I'm excited to see where that goes. Uh, Let me just—this is the last time I'm going to do this in this series. But John gave four reasons for writing this. Let's go through this again. Just keep this in our mind. Gives four reasons for writing, especially First John, in which he says this is why I wrote it. Um, Number one, he wrote it. For joy, in uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he says we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The second reason that he says he wrote this epistle was to preserve holiness. He's, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Third reason he says that he wrote this apostle was to defend truth. This was an increasing problem that began early on. It's not. This is not a new problem for us. This happened from the very beginning, and his goal was to defend what he believed was the true gospel and how it was being perverted in the churches in which he was working. Chapter 2, verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. In other words, there are people intentionally want you to misunderstand scripture. Some of those have a very large platform today. And what we need to do is be prepared with why we believe what we believe. But we need to, and what we're going to see specifically today is we need to be focused on what Jesus says about things and what Jesus intended for us. And the fourth reason that he gave for writing this epistle was for the assurance of eternal life. In chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So this was his goal. He wants you to know this eternal life is not just an idea. There there began all kinds of different belief systems that would swirl around the gospel but wasn't the gospel. Some said that Jesus wasn't really divine. Some said Jesus was divine. He was not in any way human. Um, Some people said there is no heaven. Some people said heaven is right now. So what he wanted you to understand also was that there is eternal life. When Jesus talked about eternal life, when they talked about eternal life, they really meant eternal life. And so he wanted to give that assurance. We found also in our discussion last week that John was one of three of the most influential um, apostles in the early church, Peter, James, and John, James and John being brothers. So you know when you when you get that kind of reputation for these writers, then you say, "Hey, listen, we really need to to listen to these things now I, if you 're a person who says i just I just want to read the words of jesus i would say listen i 'm with you. Uh, the words of Jesus are powerful, but also his apostles were were trained and sent out from Jesus. In order to teach us. And so we need to listen to what they say, and John is certainly important. We looked at the first four verses last week, and then we're, I'm gonna, this is the last thing, and then we're gonna jump into verse, starting with verse five. These were the five things that John um, began these first four verses with. He wanted you to know these first five things right off the bat. Number one, Christ is our life. That's gonna be in our discussion today. Christ is our life. Christ is not a part of our life, Christ is. Our life. This is one of the big problems we have today. This is one of the big problems we have in the Southern church today, is that Jesus is a part of our life. But John said, no, he is our life. We also saw him say that Christ has existed eternally with the Father. There are some that believe that Jesus was born, uh, and that's when Jesus came into existence. But what John has taught us, and he said, it teaches us especially in John chapter 1, Jesus has been here from the beginning. He was, And there really isn't a beginning when there is with Jesus and God and, and the Holy Spirit. That all three of the Trinity have been eternally existent, eternally past, eternally future. We understand eternality in the sense of a timeline in which they don't operate. Jesus has always been here. He entered and was incarnated as a human at one point in time, but he has always existed with the Father. Third thing he said is that John and we have fellowship with God, the Father, and Jesus because Jesus became flesh. That is important for our conversation today. Number four, proclaiming faith in Christ is the foundation. It's not the whole, but it is the foundation of our fellowship with other believers. And then number five, and I encourage you to think on this over this past week, John's joy was dependent on others coming into fellowship with Jesus the Father and other believers. And the way he said that is, this will make my joy complete. So he has to get this out. He has to invest in others. And I would and challenge you, I don't know how that conversation went for you this week, that you need to consider that God himself will not fulfill your joy unless your life is involved in bringing others into fellowship with us as believers, with Christ, and with God. All right? All right. So we're not going to do this, we're not going to do all those things every week, but I wanted to do that just as a follow-up from last week. Today, we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, and the reality of John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, is that this this can be a very difficult thing to understand. He, John, not just in Revelation, but in his epistles and his gospel, uses a lot of vivid imagery to describe this. He was a passionate man. When we look at his story, he and his brother James were called the sons of thunder, and at times he would go too far, and he really wanted people to be devoted to Following Jesus, at times even Jesus had to say, "Listen, back off, John. Let him let let, leave the guy alone. All right, he's he's with us. He's with us." Um, He was a passionate guy, and and uh, over time, um, what history tells us is that John went from that just you've got to be devoted, you've got to be devoted, you've got to be devoted, to just in his older uh, age, in his last years of his life, constantly saying the same phrase over and over again little children just love one another. That's where John's pushing. All right. So that's where we've been. John chapter one, or first John chapter one, verse five. Let's jump back there together. I want to talk through it. And then I've got some questions. And if you've got questions, I want you to throw them out and we'll see where this goes. Okay. All right. Are you awake? Are you sure? Okay. We need to turn the air down a little bit, make it a little colder in here. That'll wake you up. Right? No? Don't have to do that. Okay. Okay. All right. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you. In other words, again, remember we talked last week about the fact that, hey, I saw Him. I touched Him. I experienced this. What I'm telling you, I experienced. This is the message we heard from Him and proclaimed to you. This is not my message. This is the message He gave us. We're given to you that God is light. And this is the illustration that He's going to follow through and follows through much of His writings that we're going to try to dissect today. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. It's important. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, this is as clear as mud. That's what my dad would say, right? This is as clear as mud. So, this is, a, this is what you need to do this week. As you leave here, walk in his light. <laughs> and you know, there are some sermons that are wrapped up just exactly like this. And if you're like me, you're like, what does that mean? What do you mean? Walk in the I like to turn the lights on, I don't walk well in the dark. Uh, I broke my toe not too long ago trying to walk in the dark in my room, and I kicked a chair in my room, and boy, it hurts. I don't like to walk in the darkness. But what do you mean by walking in the light? So here are some of the things that he's saying. Number one, God is light. Okay, we're going to dissect that. Number two, there is no darkness in God. Why is this important for John to say there is no darkness in God? Anybody?
1: okay um, So I think it's important that we know that like you know like God allows bad things to happen. okay We have free will okay Obviously so that's why there's sin and brokenness in the world. but God does not cause people to sin, especially God does not cause people to sin against you. So it's easy to get mad at God if you know, I don't know someone you is sinning against you,
2: you know,
0: I don't really know what example to give you, but yeah, no, I think that's a good place to go. I think probably it's a very natural place to go to to to, to bad things that happen. All right, all right, guys, listen, I saw it that time, but you all have to got to you got to help him out, help a brother out back there. All right, Ken.
3: Knowledge light versus darkness and walk into it, then the shadow is behind us. And also, I, my concern is more, well, we're going to get into it, I think, but uh, about Satan being described as an angel of light, mm. and how that deception drags a lot of people from the church or prevents people from coming into the church. That's why there can be no darkness. See, Satan is... You know
0: he's a deceiver and the father of all lies, so he's got that dual thing going on. Christ, God does not. Yeah, yeah, and that's important. Good, good. Okay, that's a lot, Ken. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, the, the, so. Let me, let me just unpack, because we weren't going with the angel of light thing today, and we may get there a little bit later, but that's a very, it actually is a good place to go. That's great. Uh, yeah, so whenever I was in seminary, I had a seminary professor who wanted to explain creation in a way that we could understand. And just like when we understand uh, Jesus eternally, or God, or, or the Holy Spirit eternally, our frame of reference for eternally is linear. It is the now to the never-ending, and even in the never-ending, we're just thinking down the road somewhere, right? We don't even really know how to comprehend that, where that's, in the, that's just the way God is. Um, and I remember that uh, I had a professor in theology who uh, did a big circle, on, drew a big circle on the board, and he said, "Okay, before creation, what existed?" And you would have answered, "What? Darkness. Okay, darkness and nothing. nothing. God, right? God existed. Okay, yeah. I, I'm really looking. I'm low, low-lying fruit, not going deep at all. Low-lying <laughs> fruit here. Uh, God existed, and and so he drew this circle, and he said, so out of.'" Uh, everything that in, then exists is, is from God. And so that must also include sin and evil and Satan. Because if there was nothing but God, then there must the, all that must have come from God. That must be a characteristic from God. Well, that was at his last semester he taught. <laughs> they, <laughs> they fired him after that. But uh, it was a great discussion. Because what it forces you to do is it forces you to begin thinking about God in bigger terms than the way we like to put him in a box. And that was literally, God was the box, and you opened the box and pulled everything out. And and there are so many things in this regard, this area, that we don't fully understand. And I think that where you went with that was a, now I went there as well. In the sense that if there's no darkness in God, there are those that believe that God causes people to sin. Well, how could he? Jesus himself says, listen, uh, you know, how can that happen? A demon's not going to cast out a demon. And likewise, Jesus is not going to cause you to sin. God's not going to cause you to sin. A house that is divided on itself cannot stand. But as we go through and understand that, there is a sense, if we believe in some way, that there is darkness in God, it changes our understanding of who God is and how we relate to Him. We don't feel that God is worthy. We don't feel that God is someone that can be trusted. We don't feel like God is holy. Those are just concepts. And so there are a lot of people that really gravitate towards that idea simply because, well, if God is also bad and that's good, I can be bad and still be good. Now, we all know that's a way of life for us, right? There's brokenness within us. But when we look at him that there's no darkness in him, God is not causing those things, yet I cannot give you a standard linear answer as to how that is. I can't answer my professor's argument based on my linear understanding of existence, Mark.
4: Thing is darkness. The definition of darkness is the absence of light. Mm-hmm. And God is, of course, as we know, all good, all holy, all loving. Um, and Christ himself uh, taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. He discussed about how we should be living in the light. He gave us the attitude of examples, example, uh,
2: which went completely against mm. the theory of how most
0: people would live their Can you all hear this, by the way? Can everybody in the back here? Yeah, okay, keep going, Mark.
4: Attitudes. He was giving us a way of living life so that we could let that light so shine, mm-hmm. so that we could be examples. Um, we lose out today, in my belief, and I've been reading a, a book on the Sermon on the Mount here lately. And part of the thing that it goes into saying is that we must appear to be different. Our motives, the way mm-hmm. we live life, mm-hmm. what we do, and how we do it, what our goals are. Should be different and so people can see that light through.
0: Yes, very good. I hope you all heard that. And uh yes, very good. We're coming that we're headed there. That's exactly where we're gonna end up. So you just took a shortcut. That was awesome. Um there is a difference whenever we begin to understand he's making a difference between light and darkness. There should be a difference in those who are walking in the light and those who are walking in the darkness. We're gonna come to that, yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, also, if we understand, the like, if, okay, if someone does not understand that there's no darkness in God, that just kind of changes everything they believe about God. Because, I mean, our whole everything is based off of, I mean, Jesus came down to earth, and he saved us from our sins, and that's why we can have fellowship with God. That's why we can have eternal life, because mm-hmm. Jesus took the punishment not really punishment. He took the.
0: Yeah, punishment's a good word.
1: Okay, okay. He took the punishment for our sins. You know, the wages of sin is death. So, um, you know, if if we didn't understand that there is no darkness in God, that God is a holy God, that changes everything. Mm-hmm. And you know, how are you going to lead someone to Christ if you don't understand that, like, you know, Christ is the only way. Christ, is right. You know, the one
0: true, right? You know yeah right good good okay good good let's keep going number three which is where mark started to, to take us we cannot walk in darkness and have fellowship with god this is crucial this is a crucial understanding here is god he is light there is no darkness in him We cannot continue to walk in darkness as if we have not been exposed to the light and still in any way have fellowship with God. It can't happen. This is a huge issue for us today in the world, understanding Christianity. Um, There's such an openness to accept anything that you just don't want to stomp on anybody's toes. But what he's saying is there is literally a light and a dark and if you're going to walk in the darkness, you can't have fellowship with God, which then begs a bigger question that we're, I'm not asking yet, that, okay, then what is the difference between walking in light and darkness, right? That's where, the dif- that's where the discussion begins, because not everybody agrees what the difference is in light and darkness, and that's a problem for us. It's not a huge problem, because this is part of uh, the reason that we, uh, good job, everybody. All right. This is not a huge problem because this is part of the purpose of sanctification, of growing, of learning, and moving towards a place. But we've got to be moving towards that place of truth. Ken? How do we wrestle
3: with that in light of Paul, Romans 7, when he starts talking about the things I want to do, I can't do Mm -hmm. in me and that whole idea of not being able to get out of the flesh Mm -hmm. and that in my opinion sounds like darkness yeah I
5: think the difference is in that he's wrestling with the acknowledgement that it is sin Mm -hmm. he's wrestling with the conviction of the Holy Spirit that's telling him what you are doing is sin and because of that he's acknowledging that he's sinning against a Holy God and that's why he hates the sin that he's doing Mm -hmm. and so I don't think that that's darkness So we're not living in it. He's running from it. And I actually think that that that's the walking in the light part because when we expose our sin to the light, the darkness loses its power. And I think that by saying all of that, he's acknowledging that he is not God and that he desperately needs God because he does the things that he does not want to do and the things that he should do. He cannot do and will not do apart from God. I think in that he's acknowledging like who God is, His authority, His holiness, and also His own humanity. And I think that by confessing that, that's what He's doing—it's confessing those things yeah. and then asking. Because the other thing too is that I love about this—I'm scared of the dark. I hate the dark. Um, and I, years ago, I had a friend in the youth group, and her youth pastor took all of them out to into a field with nothing but a, like a lighter or a match. And this verse, and the whole point was: if you strike a match, no matter what, that light will always overpower the darkness. But there's not enough darkness that can ever swallow up light. And I just love
0: that. Mm-hmm. I just love that imagery. And, um, yeah, that's good. And in that that's good. Yeah, I, I think that, that that was a that's a great question, great response. And when we begin having the conversation between light and dark, there's a you're in or out, you know, then brokenness is the, for, for me, brokenness is really the foundation of grace. Uh, so when we're broken and we recognize our sin, like Paul, he could have said, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I do things I want to do and I think God's OK with it. You know, that's not how he responded. I, you know, he knew his sin. He knew his brokenness. And that would create within him compassion. So for me, brokenness and the recognition that I have to repent for my own sins, it is hard for me to sit in judgment of someone else when I'm looking at my own sin. And one of the problems that we have also had somewhat in the southern and the reason I designate the southern, I don't know if you all grew up in the south, if you've ever been in church outside of the south, the reason I designate the difference between the southern church And outside the Southern church, because it certainly can happen anywhere. But there is a sense of a false mask of Christianity in the Southern church, because that's the way we live life. How are you today? I'm good. No matter what. I mean, I just lost my leg. You know, I just lost my job. You know, my dog just died. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? You know, that's how we talk. And if you don't exist in other places outside of the South, that's just the way life is. But I, you know, I tell people that, that have experiences, you know, in the North, because they're also rude and hateful and mean. Because that's the, that's the, so that's the Southern, that's the Southern perspective. I mean, I'm not, hey, listen, hang with me, Caitlin, hang with me. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that. But in the South, we have that perspective because really what we're saying is you don't have a polite mask on. And that's the way we live our life. But one of the things that I loved about doing ministry in the North Is that you know you always knew where you stood, and I would tell people as as a pastor, you know, in the south you get stabbed in the back, in the north you get stabbed in the front. You know, I would rather get stabbed in the in the chest than in the back, right? So, uh, you know, so one of the things we do have to guard is is this overly judgmental. Well, you're not in the light, and and what Paul does there is saying. I know I'm not regularly walking in the light, but I'm trying. <laughs> you know, I'm working to get there. And so that is, that brokenness within ourselves leads to compassion for others, and it does lead to a change within us. Somebody back here was raising a hand. Ian?
4: Yeah. I think it's easy to sort of just sort of justify well I I've, I've done A B and C and so I, I'm now forever always walking in hellative
0: and I think I think even what Paul's saying and and not to that does feel like an in and out. Yeah. I, yeah, does anybody else feel that way ever? Kind of in and out of fellowship like today I'm doing okay. This morning I was doing okay. Like right now, I'm not so sure, you know, you ever have, the, hang on a second, you ever have, you know, just if you have those moments, I think that's a great way to describe that. And it also is a, a very self-aware way to describe that in the sense that it's easy for us to say, I'm always in fellowship. Well, you know, there's different levels of fellowship probably, I would say too. There's the fellowship that Jesus has, you know, he's not, his, his blood has not stopped atoning for my sin and providing a, a way for me to be forgiven. But then there's kind of that, you know, pray without ceasing fellowship in which we know we can't, none of us can actually get to the place where we pray nonstop. Uh, but we can change our perspective of prayer so that throughout the day it's not like I have to stop and now I have to go through the Acts, you know, if you're familiar with the old, the old Acts formula of prayer, I've got to acknowledge, I've got to confess, I've got to give thanksgiving, you know? you know. You're not having to go through this predetermined format for prayer, but you're just speaking to God regularly like you would if you were with your spouse or best friend or somebody and you were just together that you just randomly talk about stuff. Uh but and then there's fellowship I would say and uh and I don't know this is exactly where you're going with this, Ian, but then there's fellowship that would that would say like I am I am in tune with God. I I am this is I'm growing, my mind is expanding, my heart is expanding, like I am changing. I am seeing God. I, I he is real, more real than he's ever been. There's those moments of fellowship that are I I would say for me are, are I hate to use the word rare because that, that now you're judging me, but uh, there, there's a sense of rarity in that, um, and and that those moments are meant to be held onto and celebrated and to say, yes, God is at work in me, and I seek more of those moments, So, but they're less rare than they were in the beginning. So I, I would say with my own life, I'm really chasing a rabbit now, but in my own life, uh, when I first became a believer, those moments were fast and furious, you know, and no pun intended, they were fast and furious, they were just happening regularly, and then over time they kind of slowed down, kind of got in the groove, kind of got into the church thing, and, and then they kind of slowed down, and then that became not enough, began to feel somewhat empty. And so I, I began to seek those moments more and more, and, and for the last few years of my life, um, and, and, and the church is a result of, uh, starting this church is a result of some of those of God just pulling and drawing and, and saying there's more to this. And um, so there's different I would just I, I say all that to say there's different levels of fellowship as well. I think we all can can agree to that, Ian. Thank you. Yeah, Stacy?
6: we have to have a
5: clear definition of the light and a clear definition of the darkness mm-hmm. so
6: I think I'm, I've been trying to wrap my mind around a definition of sin so that that could be brought forth and also a good explanation of how you could create something with no intention
2: of darkness but there being something that's mm-hmm. dark in it so okay I,
6: broke a command, therefore darkness entered the world. Mm -hmm. Um, You could back that up. So that's one definition of sin in terms of rebelliousness against what God has commanded. You could back that up to Isaiah 14, where we see the picture of where Lucifer, now known as Satan, has attempted to ursip the authority of God um, and put himself on the is the authority of our life or that around us other than God. Um, so I think those two points are definite linear elements in which darkness is entered. I think where I struggle is in both cases, those are elements created by God. We know God created the angels, we know God created man, mm-hmm. and it is out of the angels and man in which darkness has come. I don't have a really good explanation of something that we could create and the intention be good, but that maybe the best explanation I can think of is like, my birthday was a couple of weeks ago. Mom bought flowers to begin to give to me. Flowers come with a little flower food, and I'm pretty diligent about getting my flowers into the life. I'm pretty diligent about feeding my flowers, so if you were to come to my house today, my flowers are sitting in the window, and they look almost like my what what would happen is if I didn't put those flowers in the light if I weren't feeding those flowers their proper food they would decay and I think that's kind of the state in which we're in God has created something beautiful in all of us but if we are not walking in the light if we are attempting to accept our own authority if we are um, attempting to break God's commands and we're not feeding ourselves the word of God
0: Imperfect right, right. The best in which I can describe how something dark can come out of something that's right. I, I yes, and I think you're 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 onto something. As far as a linear, there is a we we can look at a linear aspect of darkness. There is a place in which it entered the creation. There is a place that it will leave the creation. We're not there yet. But as far as that goes, we can't. What I mean, what, what I'm more talking about is, so where did the darkness come from? And, and there is a sense and a belief that some would say darkness comes from God, like my seminary professor. Um, and so we then, I think that's a great point. There are things, the possibility in which God created something good, and yet in the way in which he created, allowed for the development of something God did not want, yet knew could happen. So that's a longer conversation for us at another time, I think it's a very good point. And also, a good, it is good to struggle with the definition of sin and what is darkness, and I think we're going we're to get there here in a few minutes, based on more on what how John describes what light is, and if we understand, well, what light looks like, then that helps us to more deeply understand what darkness looks like. So I do think we're going to get there. (laughs)
5: <laughs> now, like, you can say anything. I say I have a million dollars. That doesn't make it true. Um, but walking in that, and I think, like, going back to, to what Ken said earlier, is when you're actively walking with the Lord, like, you, you can wrestle with that. The, the Word says to work out your salvation, your spirit, like, that's also, you know, part of doing that. But I think, too, when you are walking in darkness, I think that you are actively choosing to disobey the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's where the difference is. If you are actively <clears throat> disobeying, knowing that you're act- not, and sometimes you don't always know. Like this, but if the Holy Spirit is convicting you and you don't do what He says, then you're actively disobeying Him. And so I think that that helps um, kind of define sin a little bit.
0: More. Um, I think it also defines fellowship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Let's keep going. I, we're not going to. I'm gonna I give you a chance, but we've got to get through some stuff, or we're gonna to get to only three verses this week. So um, we'll come back. So hold those questions if they, because I think I think that we're starting to answer some later questions. So I want to get to those questions so we can we can keep moving on. Because next week we're going to chapter two, no matter what. Um, all right. So. Um, the third the fourth thing that we see just in, in verses five through seven is that if we so it was just mentioned you, we can't walk in darkness and have fellowship with God. Likewise, if we walk in the light, this is where we have fellowship with each other and we are cleansed from sin. Now, this is important that you need to, to chew on because what he's what John is saying here is part of fellowship, not that we're in the same room but our lives are intertwined, is dependent on us all walking in the light. And also dependent of us uh, on us walking in the light is being cleansed from sin, which is another problem we have theologically today in which... I, so I grew up in a stream that said, once saved, always saved. I would not necessarily disagree with that. I would disagree that we don't define what it looks like to be saved enough. Um, so in other words, when we say, I believe that Jesus is the son of God absolutely and and scripture tells us so do the demons but that doesn't mean that they know him and that they're following him and that they're cleansed from sin you know so that we have to understand so what does it mean to walk in the light, uh, because there's some crucial things that hang on that. Walking in the light, what John says, what hangs on that is fellowship with each other, but also actually being cleansed from sin, and being cleansed from sin is how we actually have eternal fellowship with God the Father and each other. So this is a, it's crucial to understand, well, what is this? This is where I want to jump down to John chapter 1, and we're just going to do the first 13 verses. I'm going to read them. You're not going to stand up and read them. But I, I want us to walk through this. I've got a few more questions. And then in John chapter 8, I think he answers a lot of this. He kind of brings us back to where I want us to go um, to finish up today. Um, John chapter 1, verse 1. And just hang with me. And on the slides, just leave the Scripture up until we leave it. But uh, it says, In the beginning was the Word. Your Scripture probably has Word capitalized. Um, We're not talking about the Bible here. We're not talking about God speaking here. We're talking about a person. Uh, this is who we understand Jesus to be. The be. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So now he's switching from Word to He. So we're talking about a person here. So this is where John is laying the groundwork that Jesus did not just appear. If Jesus did not exist before you know, being born of Mary, there would be a lot of arguments that Jesus was not divine. Because he was not with God, was not a part of God, and only God is divine. This is an important part theologically, because if he wasn't there all along, then he, was, he it would be very easy to argue he was not truly divine, and then he would not truly be an atonement for sin for all people. So he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. This is not in Genesis chapter 1, uh, but this is how we understand creation through john is that god when god spoke it is jesus who did the creating so we have jesus involved in the creation in the entire time it's all been about him all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Which is not a tongue twister. He's just emphasizing his point using a grammatical tool to reinforce. He has always been here. Everything was made through him. Nothing exists that wasn't made through him. This is one of the verses in which my professor said, well, then darkness and sin comes from him. And so this is a, this, that's not a conversation we're going to continue this morning. It is a good thing to struggle with all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made this is where the shift changes or shift comes in in him was life still talking about jesus and the life was the light of men so now we're moving into jesus's life and jesus's light the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Great illustration about being in the woods. If you've ever gone caving, that's another great... If you've never felt darkness, go caving where they turn out all the lights. You just feel, I mean, you feel it coming in on you. It's, it's, it's an incredible experience. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man, a man sent from God whose name was John. Different John. You know which John this one is? John the, John the Baptist. Whose name was John. He came as a witness. To bear witness about the light. Now, one of the reasons John is saying this is because there was an obscure sect of Christianity that began to believe that John the Baptist was the true Messiah, not Jesus. That John the Baptist was the one that was actually sent to remove sin, not Jesus. So John is basically coming in and saying, listen, I know what you've heard. I know what you're saying. Because remember, one of his purposes for writing was to defend against false teaching. I know what you've heard. Some of you have heard that John the Baptist was the one, because when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist was the thing going. He had all the disciples. And Jesus came in with a handful, and eventually John would send his disciples to go with Jesus. Jesus. Uh, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So now we're consistently getting this image from John of Jesus and the light are the same. These are the same thing. Jesus, the word, the light, the life, all of it is wrapped up in Jesus. Jesus. The true light, which by saying the true light, what do you assume? There's like a not true light, right? Okay. All right. Angel of light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own... Talking about the Jews, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So now we have to struggle not only with the belief, but what does it mean to receive him? Because what John's saying here is is that to receive you, in order for you to become a child of God, you have to receive him. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. So when we come come down to all of this, what is the true light? What is John saying here? I mean, it's Jesus. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the, the low-lying fruit, right? That's the easy one. That, it's Jesus. Jesus is the light. So when we start looking in other places where John is talking about light, he is talking about Jesus. And this is the thing that is so incredible about John is that his writings are decades apart and yet his message is consistently the same. Consistently the same. And it was Paul who, we, who gets the credit for writing most of the New Testament as we have it today who said John was one of the three pillars in which the church was built. So this is important. John is important. What John is saying, he's not just saying, you know, I'm John, this is my two cents. I mean, John is laying the foundation of what we should understand it means to be the church today. It doesn't mean that we have to look exactly like John. I don't want my life to look like John because, for one, I don't want to be boiled in a vat of oil. And I don't want to test that. You know, I don't want to be shipwrecked, or not shipwrecked, but exiled on an island because the powers that be think I'm a threat to them. I don't want that in my life. I think it would be kind of cool, but I don't really want that for my life. But what he's showing us is what does it look like for us to actually live this way today? What is the true light? Maybe this should be a rhetorical question, (laughs) but does this change the way That we see Christianity today. Does this change the way that we see Christianity today? This understanding about walking in light. Jesus is the light. John testified about the light. I think you should struggle with that. I think we should struggle with that because... The farther we get removed from the event of Jesus dying on the cross, Scripture tells us the less likely people are to believe. The less likely people are to be saved. In fact, what Scripture tells us is not that it will be the abandonment of Christianity, it will be the corruption of it. The corruption of Christianity is where people are going to go to listen to those who will say what they want to hear. We are full bore... (laughs) In this prophecy today. Anything you want to hear with Jesus slapped on like a label, you can hear it. Whatever you want, you can have it. This is where we are. If we're going to follow Jesus, what is crucial is that we are not following in that mass direction. But instead, what we are doing is we are staying true to what it looks like to follow him as those original disciples and Jesus himself talked about it. So when we do that, we have to be careful. When I ask a question, does this change the way that people see Christianity today or that we see Christianity today, I want to be careful. I don't want to sit in judgment and that we're better Christians than other people because that is a sure path away from the will of God. But what I also want to be careful about is that we are not staying on the path of what true Christianity was. And I've told you before, the, the, the one verse in Scripture that turns my heart cold even now is when Jesus says, many would come to me in that day and call me Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. That, that chills me to the bone today. So it is possible to live a very religious life, a very devoted church-going life, and not know Jesus, and what John is saying is, it is all wrapped up in life and light, which is Jesus, okay? So that still is one of those clear, clear as mud, right? What do we do with that? What do we do with that, Renee?
1: So, um, and the question is, like, does this change the way people see Christianity today? I think, like, a lot of people, especially, like, lost people that, um, you know, kind of grew up in church, but, you know, they they think they're Christians because their parents were Christians, Mm -hmm. or because they went to church, or, you know, they just don't really fully understand that it's not a religion, really. You know, a religion is a practice, and it's, like, a part of someone's life whereas you know if you're a follower of christ that like every decision you make every thing you do in your everyday life should be based off of that it should be i mean i'm not saying nobody's perfect and nobody lives this perfect like make every decision based off of mm. you know like in contemplating you know what would the lord want me to do what does the lord want me to do in this situation Nobody's perfect and no one actually lives that way, but like that's the goal. Mm-hmm. And so I think it really changes people's perspective when they stop like when they if you explain to someone that it's not a religion, you know, to me I'm not religious because I mean this is it's just the truth. It's um, you know, Jesus is my life. I'm not perfect though. That's not what I'm trying to say, but mm-hmm. that's that's my goal.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Thank you. So would you say it's more
1: about the relationship? And the, the oh, yeah. It's not really, because that's the word that I keep, you know, thinking I'm going to hear from you in a minute because you recognize that's really what it is. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a relationship, and it's um, the practices, like going to church and tithing and, you know, other
0: things, like that is a result of the relationship. It's not... Yes. That's what James would say. James would say that things that I do, I do because of the faith I have in Christ. Yeah, and so it's like, Mm -hmm. you
1: know, by grace are you saved. Like, you're saved by grace, and it's because you're saved you do all the works that you do, and your works show that you're saved. Um, But you don't do good things to be saved. You do good things because you are saved, I guess.
0: Yeah, right. Good. That is a good distinction, Renee. You, I don't know if you. I assume you heard that. Not a huge room, but uh, we don't do good things to be saved. Uh, because we're saved, we do good things. Yeah, I think that's a good. That's what James would say. Uh, you, you know, you show me your faith um, without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, I, the things that I do, I do because I'm changed. Which is what John would also say, and he's going to echo later in, in the Gospel of John. So, uh, no, I think that's very good. That's very good. Um,
3: I keep reading that question. Does this change the way we see people
5: in Christianity today? I can't get past that. Yeah. Just, you know, in, not
1: necessarily in a judgment sense, but in the seeing people wrestle with it, um, wrestle with the, the light, wrestle with the dark, wrestle with mm-hmm. the the high and the low tide that we get with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I know that, I don't want to say my dedication, but my moments of um, chasing God versus Him chasing me, mm-hmm. they have a tie to it, they really do, you know, and it seems like I'm more on the ebb than the flow, you know, mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. after me instead of me after Him. Yeah. So that that question keeps rephrasing itself for
0: me, yeah. and how I'm looking at other people they are struggling. This is a hard question, and there's not an easy answer. And there's also not—you can't stereotype. Every person's different. I mean, I'm asking a stereotype with this question, but there's no stereotyping. It's, they are all individual. Um, but I guess maybe the better way for us to ask that question is, how do I see, how do I see Christianity? How do I see what it looks like to, to live this out today? And you know, if we, when we begin to to keep coming back to this image of Jesus, John's gonna he's gonna up the stakes. In later, if you go, if if you're new to reading scripture, the Gospel of John is a great place to get started. But uh, but he's gonna really up the ante as he continues on. And um, and he says in uh, chapter eight, verse twelve, Jesus spoke to them, saying, "I am the light of the world." Same imagery is back in. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now let's take John chapter eight verse twelve, and let's interpret what we've read in in verse seven um, or verse six and seven through John eight twelve, where it says, "If we say we have fellowship him while we walk in darkness." we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, in John chapter 8, verse 12, what Jesus is saying is, whoever follows me won't walk in darkness. So in other words, if we don't want to walk in darkness, what do we do? That's so simple, isn't it? Let's just do that. Okay, go do that. Just go do that. All right. And you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Do what?
5: Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, you're gonna to continue to walk in darkness. Mm-hmm. But when you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the light in you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with you. Uh you know, if th it is a sad place to be walking in darkness and to believe you're walking in light. It is a sad place. Mark.
4: You know, that line also has a name, and it's called ego, and that's the only thing that separates me from everything God and everything good. And if you turn that around and utilize that same information back to what is the difference between light and darkness, you go back to the creation of man, and God gave us free will, mm-hmm. in other words, we have a choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Doing things for our own good, doing things that we want to do. And I think that's what Paul was struggling with is that difference in decision of working for, for God, for Christ, in the light, or doing things that I really
2: want to do. Mm-hmm. All right? And that's the struggle that becomes sin in our lives. Mm-hmm.
4: From that. And in the days past, we have hundreds, maybe thousands of decisions every single day. And what are we going to do? What is that decision going to be? It's all part of that free will. Mm-hmm. And if we're in ego, we're going to go into the darkness for self. Yeah. If we're in where we need to be spiritually walking with Christ, those decisions will be made
0: for his good. Yeah, that's very that's that's a great summation of what I think John is saying also in the next few verses and when I say when we begin to understand what it looks like to walk in the light we have a better picture of what sin is and sin sin has so many characteristics I mean we can take by this definition of light that in essence what sin is is walking in any way in which Jesus would not doing anything Jesus would not not doing the things that Jesus would do I think that's a very easy definition of sin. The problem is is we don't know how Jesus would respond to every single possible decision that we do have to make. But we can understand the, the overall picture and the goal and that can point us in those ways. But that's also where the Holy Spirit speaks to us and brings things to understanding within us and then we together... Come to those understandings together so that if I'm struggling with something, I come to, to you and you say, well, listen, this is how I see it. And I see it because this is how I read Scripture. And this is what I've experienced in my life. is what I feel like God has told me. And when we constantly are having those kinds of bumping into each other conversations in fellowship with each other, then we have a better understanding. Well, how do we together follow Jesus? I'm going to get you save your question because I've got to wrap up. We're out of time. I've got to wrap up. But I'll chat with you after if you've got another Uh, something you want to say because i want to again we got to finish chapter one Um, but sin is also not just doing the right things sin is enslaving it's capting you feel the chains around you it holds you down it pulls you into the light you feel it, it causes struggle, it causes you you to to hurt and to lose hope and to lose purpose it 's the thing that makes you believe that you 're getting the very best of life, and yet it 's robbing you and making you totally empty. Sin is not just the uh, you know doing right versus doing wrong; sin is a tangible thing in which we can feel its you know tentacles wrapping around us and pulling us down deep you know sin is is so multifaceted. And what Jesus is saying is, I am the answer to all of that. But if you want to untangle yourself from this sin, you've got to come and you've got to follow me. This is where the early church struggled with this, and they began to say, well, you know, Jesus died for our sin, so we don't even have to worry about that anymore. And and Paul said, oh, no, 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 no. Far be it for us to get to the place where we say we no, we're no longer concerned with sin. Oh, how how why would we submit ourselves back to that level of slavery again. Why would we do that? Oh, no, no, no. Our sins are forgiven, but yet we are not going to continue to let them to have any control within our lives. And how do we understand what that sin is? But we understand what Jesus says. Well, this is what is good. Walk in the light. Let me wrap up with verses 8 and 10, and then we're going to close out today. Verses 8 and 10, it says, If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So what he's even following up this whole conversation with is saying that what some of you have already said, but what if we struggle with this? What if I want to walk in the light? What if I want to follow Jesus? But I, I, you know, I keep sinning. And and what he is basically saying is it's oh. It is okay. Just don't continue to walk in it. Confess it. Repent of it. And keep walking and keep going. And so this is what sanctification is. This is why I believe that heaven is talked about so frequently in Scripture. Is because it's a place where we don't struggle with these things. But I would encourage you that as we go through this to, to struggle to ask yourself, what does it look like to have this kind of life? What does it look like to walk in this light? What are the ways in which I can bring light into the darkness for others? What are the ways that others are bringing darkness to me? I think the saddest thing is for someone to believe they're in the light and yet they're in the darkness. To get upside down. You know, it amazes me that God's creation adapts to darkness. We have bats that have radar. Marine life in the deepest levels of the ocean that develop some type of sense or an ability to capture any bit of light in the darkness. How awful would it be to believe that you're walking in the light and you're not? This is where us being different is so crucial. If we are not different, then we can convince other people that the darkness they're in is actually light. One of the things we all each have to struggle with in our own understanding of scripture is what does it look like for me to be different I mean that's a conversation John's going to continually have and we're going to continually have as we go through these epistles I remember when uh j f k jr died. you remember that? Some of you guys don't even know who that is that <laughs> but he was young on top of the world it was out flying and he crashed flew right into the ground and they tried to understand why and they believe what happened was that he had some type of night blindness he was flying at night he thought he was upright but he was upside down and when the alarm started going off that he's approaching the ground he was pulling up but yet because he was upside down he just went into a dive he thought he was rescuing himself. And he went into a dive. It's so crucial for us to understand what light is, what life is. It's crucial that our whole life is spent searching that out and, and living that out. Because otherwise, we're doing what he said in verse 6 walking in darkness, saying we have fellowship with God. We don't. We don't. So this is a call to prayer. And overall, if we look at the whole of chapter 1, what I would leave you with is this, is that how we understand the gospel will determine if we have fellowship with Jesus the Father and His church. It's all wrapped up together. All of us are wrapped up together. And so let us seek out to live that out fully. Just pray with me? Father, even an incredible writer, apostle, teacher like John, At times, it's difficult for us to fully comprehend what he's saying and how we are to follow it. But, God, I know that this is the call that you have placed on our lives. And I pray that we would experience that together. Father, I pray that you would help us to know the difference between the darkness and the light and to follow you. To experience the life that is Jesus within us. That you're not a part of our life, but you are our life. I pray that we would not only be able to root out the sin within our lives, but that the brokenness we experience and the repentance that we have would lead us to a greater level of love and grace and mercy for others. I thank you that even though we fail, you knew we were still going to fail, and Jesus' sin covered that. And I thank you that your mercies are new every day. I thank you that your grace is, is complete and whole and full and welcoming and enveloping of us. And Father, I pray that we would take that message out of these walls. Because just like John's, I don't believe our joy can be complete until we're doing that. Help us to live this out fully, authentically. Let it be real in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.